Welcome to the Meta Business Podcast. The Metaverse and Web3 are bringing about the biggest revolution since the internet itself. With your hosts, Paul the Prophet Dawalibi and Jeff the Juice Cohen, we will be bringing you the latest Metaverse business news and insight into what it all means. The Meta Business Podcast starts now. From the boardroom to the Metaverse, this is the Meta Business Podcast. I am Paul the Prophet Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, Jeff the Juice Cohen. For those of you who are new here, welcome to the official podcast of the Metaverse. What we do is we cover the most pressing Metaverse stories and news of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this exciting industry. For our regular listeners, thank you guys for tuning in every week. If you haven't already, go leave a review on the podcast, share it with a friend. If you do those two things, we will love you forever. Uh, This is how we continue to grow. Make sure you share it. Make sure you leave a review on whatever podcast platform you uh, you get us on and hit subscribe or like turn on whatever alerts or notifications there are. So you make sure you get every new episode right when it comes out. Jeff, how are you doing this week? I'm good. I feel like I'm ready to go. You know, it's whenever we record after the live stream, I always feel like, you know, I've got the kinks out, like I'm kind of ready to <laughs> It's almost like you're when loose. you golf. You're loose. Like, yeah, like when you golf, you take the first three or four holes to like <laughs> get your swing, and then you're really hitting your stride by the by the middle. So that's how I feel now. I feel like I'm I'm ready to go. I'm like loose. It's gonna be. We're gonna we're gonna spit some fire on this episode. I think I am ready for some like classic juice hot takes here. Okay, so um, let's let's kick this off, guys. We'll start with a story here. Uh, as always, we try and start with a story that's a little bit fun or a little bit lighthearted, although. I don't know if I'd call theft fun here, but it is an interesting story. And the headline is someone stole Seth Green's Bored Ape, which was supposed to star in his new show. Uh, the subheadline says the actor has been pleading on t- Twitter with Dark Wings 84, who bought his ape from a scammer to return it. So this is uh, actor and producer Seth Green. He had NFTs that were robbed from him, supposedly after succumbing to a phishing scam. And what was interesting about this robbery is he had bought a board ape or, or uh, a board ape and a few other NFTs. And he was using, he had been developing for the last, I think year it said uh, a, an animated series featuring the board ape that he had bought. Now, now that he no longer owns that board ape because it was, I guess, stolen from him or, you know, there was a, he was scammed out of it, I guess. He no longer owns the copyright to that board ape. And so now he's, he's trying to get it back from the person who bought it from the scammer. This is the, this is sort of where the saga ends in this or where we're currently at in this saga per this article. Jeff, I'm curious what you make of this. Uh, there's a lot of ways to dissect this, right? First of all, like getting scammed out of the board ape. Second of all, using it in an animated TV series. Uh, the copyright Finally, issues, the ownership issues. You know, I wasn't aware that Seth Green was still alive slash making content. <laughs> so good for him. for still being relevant, I guess, in some capacity. So that that's number one. I hadn't heard of him since like Road Trip or whatever movie he was in, like in 1997. He's um, still around. He's still around. And he still he looks good. He looks young. So good, good for him. He looks healthy. Uh, wow. Where where was I? Four uh, days. Copyright. Think, I mean, this is. I think, so I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on, hit the music. (laughs) This is a really smart publicity scam. And I say that because no one would care 
that Seth Green was making some show about his board ape. But now that the board ape was stolen and he's going on and on and getting all these articles written about how, oh, wow, like his board ape, like, there's a reason why we're talking about it. We probably wouldn't be talking about it if it hadn't been stolen. I think that this is all an elaborate ruse where, you know, either it was, uh, obviously this is all on the blockchain, so we could see that someone did, you know, clearly take possession of the ape. But I, I think this is all contrived and, and it's just a, a really smart publicity move to, to garner attention for, for a show. And keep in mind, like, what does that even mean? He could still, even if it was quote unquote stolen, he could still use that IP. Like, what is the person who stole the IP, the, the, the ape going to come and be like, hey, like, he, I, oh, you owe me the royalty <laughs> money for this thing that I stole from you. Just, I don't think that's how the law works. I don't know. I, look, I think it's a, a genius take, right? That's a hot take. It's a genius take. I didn't even think about that. Um, keep in mind, right, in the, in, the, in the mind of the scammer, nothing was I, maybe stolen here, right? Because it, 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 says, it says very vaguely some kind of phishing scam, right? It would be hard to prove if Seth, I feel like, fell for the phishing scam, right? Like if he, if he willingly entered his email and password or something, you know what I mean? Isn't that like... It's, that. it's fraud. It's, yeah, it's, like, yeah, it's, some, yeah, it's a crime fraud. of some sort, right? But um, It's not like right. they held him by gunpoint and were like, give me your information. <laughs> <laughs> give me your um, aim. Uh, so I love the take. And now that I think about it, it's, it's kind of genius if that's the reality and he gets it back. Right. And, and maybe he knew he would be able to get it back. Maybe it was all planned out in advance. I, I let me take, I, I want to take the conversation back though, to one step before that even, which is why do we care about a show featuring a board ape? But like, it's not a character that has any characteristics, right? It has this, we, we don't know anything about these bored apes. We don't know what kind of, are they nice? Are they assholes? Are they, you know, like what kind of people are they? What do they like to do for fun? If anything in the name that says they're bored, right? I don't know how you create good content around a bored ape. Hence why they're doing this publicity scam. Cause now you get people interested, uh, but I do think you bring up a more serious, interesting question where, you know, we've seen, Recently, a lot of these communities try to pivot towards either content or building a metaverse or building games around what is really just like a bunch of profile pictures. I guess it sounds like you're fairly bearish, but having said that, the apes all have interesting pictures, characteristics. Like you could build lore around the characters. I think it would have to take an imagination to build out a whole storyline, but like it's no different than like there was no Harry Potter until someone created the world around Harry Potter. It was just a kid with a scar on his face. So like, the, problem the character is you, doesn't have to be inherently interesting for there to be an interesting story. But is it, are you allowed to build lore, right? Cause you own the copyright to that one board ape and it's image and likeness, I assume. Right. But like, if you go start making up stories about how this board ape is a drug dealer in a, in a world where, you know, uh, everyone's a murderous villain. Like, will will the folks at Yuga Labs be like, oh, that's cool, right? That you made up this horrible, like, lore around our, our, our characters that we create? I mean, the ethos of the, of the whole project is that it's decentralized, right? You own your ape, you own your character. Now, people probably wouldn't do that because I think if you're an owner of a board ape, you're probably part of that community and I don't think you'd want to harm, harm the community. But like, 
I don't know if there's anything Yugo Labs could do to stop you. I think that's like kind of the very one of the at least purported values of buying these apes. It's like it's your ape. You, you could do what you want with it. Yeah, it, it, it's just it all feels a little backwards to me, right? Like The Simpsons was a success. I'm, I'm just trying to think of another animated show that was a success. Simpsons was a su- success. People would then go and buy Simpsons merch or put a Simpsons poster on their wall or whatever it is. But it started with like good stories and good characters. Here you're starting with just the image and now they have to create the stories and the characters. It's not clear to me that that's going to be a success or that the core material like is a bored ape really the best possible animated show someone could put on the air right like in the world of concepts for new animated shows if you take out the hype around bored apes you know is that are there more interesting shows to be done and written i i i just i'm i have trouble believing that that this is the best extension to call it of this content or this ip I agree. I mean, you're putting the cart before the horse. You're, you're, you're creating the IP before creating the, the story and the narrative, which, you know, doesn't really work. But the crypto community, you know, is, is, is an interesting one. I mean, they're very passionate, right? Like these, these apes definitely do have sentimental value for people and, and they're well known. Having said that, it is still probably a very niche community. We, we talk about this all the time with crypto gaming. You know, the, it's all, it's everywhere around the news. But it's a very small portion of people that are actually engaging with the community and playing these games for now. What do you think are the chances Seth gets his ape back? I I don't think he'll get his ape back, but I don't I don't think that was the point here. I think he wanted to create attention, and I think he's done that. And if this show is successful, he's going to make a lot more than you know what is one ape worth at this point. It'll probably be interesting. Not, they probably have come down in value, I assume. <laughs> Um, let's, let's switch gears. Let's talk about someone who can definitely afford to buy a lot more apes. Uh, and this is a little bit of a, uh, you know, tip of the hat to you and to us, uh, from our previous episode where we talked about Andreessen's games fund one, uh, new fund, like the $600 million game gaming focused fund. Um, this is Andreessen Horowitz again in the news. CNBC article says Andreessen Horowitz raises four and a half billion dollar crypto fund to take advantage of bargains in down market. Silicon Valley firm announced a new $4.5 billion fund for backing crypto and blockchain companies on Wednesday. Partners Ariana Simpson and Chris Dixon likened the long-term opportunity in crypto to the next major computing cycle after PCs in the 80s, internet in the 90s, and mobile in the early 2000s. Uh, Bear markets are often when the best opportunities come about, said Simpson. Um, First of all, let me just say, how cool is it uh, to be at Andreessen Horowitz where raising a new fund because if, if the, if the thesis here is true, right, that this was all about taking advantage of bargains. I mean, the bargains only came about in what, like the last week, uh, right? Maybe a little more than that, but yeah, like two <laughs> not, weeks, much. <laughs> not much. And so it's like, what did they do? Just send a letter out to their LPs and be like, I'm raising a new fund. And two weeks later, this was four and a half billion dollars. Like, Kind of a cool nice. environment to be operating in as a VC. Uh, but what do you make, Jeff? You know, we did call this. We said the gaming fund was, was not going to be sort of, uh, it was not going to live on its own. There, there was something that was going to follow that. Uh, curious your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have too much thoughts outside the fact that I'm impressed that we, we really did. You know, sometimes people may think we joke when we have our tinfoil hat, you know, <laughs> noise, which we do. 
But th- this was actually exactly something we called literally, I think it was last week. So last week, yeah. Came, came through so quickly. And the reason we sort of sniffed that out, I think, was because we, we thought it was odd that in the announcement for the, the massive $400 or $600 million gaming fund, there was really not much or even no talk of crypto in that announcement, which is we were positing like why that would be the case. And, you know, I think we basically said, well, maybe they have another fund that's going to be targeted <laughs> at crypto. So kudos to us for being right. I don't have much more take than like patting ourselves <laughs> in the back. I think this, uh, I actually would be interested to see if they talk about gaming in this one. I don't know. This is a CNBC article, so I don't know if we'll, we'll get the information, but I'll be curious to see if this crypto dedicated fund will invest in Web3 games or if it's kind of like somewhat separate. A question for you, though, on the size, uh, how quickly do you think they deploy this, right? If this is all about opportunities that are depressed right now, right? Companies maybe with valuations that have been hit, uh, you know, are, are lower or whatever. Like if this is a really opportunistic fund around bargains, do you think they deploy this at like four and a half billion in six months, in a year, two years? Is there enough out there to deploy a four and a half billion dollar fund in your mind? I guess uh, maybe I'm a little skeptical. I wonder how, and, and you would know better than I, how much of this narrative around the bargains is, hey, they were raising this fund for the last six months and now it closed and they're saying, well, look, we've got, we, we did this fund because there's bargains. I don't know how realistic it would really be for them, you know, even Andreessen with all the power they have to marshal that big, just logistically put it together a fund that quickly. Um, so I suspect they're going to do this fund over over the normal life cycle of fund. They may be a bit more aggressive with valuations down here and, and, and you know, the market being a bit softer. But I think when you're dealing with that much capital, it, just, it would be hard for them to deploy it much faster than they probably already are. Like, you know, four and a half billion dollars, like it's going to take a while to deploy that, you know, just in general. Um, I did see in the article as you added up, it looks like they backed Adam Newman, the former yeah, founder of WeWork. $70 million, so, which I mean, is... Good, that's wild. So <laughs> I guess, you know, whatever you, you think world, of him, you know, yeah. he, he did build a, build a massive company. So, you know, you're betting on a founder that's has built a multi-billion dollar company, albeit, you know, sort of almost, almost ended up killing it. But he did build a... Almost destroyed $40 billion dollars of value. But yeah, you know. The early, hey, the first money in did well, though. I'm sure they, they did made do a well. lot of money. Yeah. So. Uh, look, uh, first of all, I don't think it took them six months to raise this. I truly believe it, it's on the order of weeks, if not even less. Wow. Uh, and, you know, I've heard stories of Sequoia, you know, in some of the frothiest markets would literally just do that, would send a letter out to their LPs and tell them, look, here's your allocation, right? You're, we're, we're raising a $2 billion fund. Your allocation is $200 million. Uh, sign on the dotted line and, you know, we need the wire transfer by X, X, Y, Z date. I mean, in some of these frothy markets, this is how the top funds, top decile funds go and fundraise literally. Um, and so I, I suspect this didn't take them very long to raise at all. And I suspect they're going to deploy it relatively quickly because I do believe there are probably bargains to be had. And, and the, but I also think that the downturn, right. The, the, the ripple effect caused by the the you know the 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 blow up of the last couple of weeks is temporary, right? I think in in two months from now, three months from now, while the the you know the 
the markets may be the, the public markets may still be uh, in sort of a recession type of kind of zone. I think the enthusiasm for crypto, people are going to forget very quickly uh, sort of this, this blow up and move on very quickly. Like, I don't think this, the negative feelings and attitudes are going to last that long. And I don't think this, like people are saying, oh, the bubble burst. Like to me, it's so a little air has come out and then people are like, we're, we're going to keep pumping air in. I do wonder if we've, we've hit an inflection point where some of these projects that have no utility or like, you know, the, the pictures of a rock that are selling for 20 ETH. Like, I hope that the bubble has burst on that. I think clearly you and I are believers in, in Web3, believers in this metaverse concept. We're, we do this podcast, obviously, um, 100%. But, and so projects that are building with actual value that are cre- creating like real technology in the space, 100% will still get funded because there's so much capital going around. Yeah. Maybe valuations briefly will be a bit lower, but I do hope for the speculative FOMO mania. I hope that that's you know, come and gone a little bit. No question. I think that, that, but and this is why these natural cycles are good, right? They're, they're productive. You get rid of that 25% that's like total noise. That's like short-term cash grab. Um, I, I think the industry will be way better off. That's why I say in two or three months, I think, We'll be back to a lot of enthusiasm, but a lot of enthusiasm around really great projects or interesting projects. Um, so uh, that's it'll be interesting to see where Andreessen deploys all that money. Uh, but uh, very exciting to see another you know huge amount of of cash essentially being injected into the space. So um, let's talk about this next article, uh, Jeff. You flagged this one for a very specific reason, and I I love the 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 sort of the insight that's hopefully going to come from this and. The headline here is Web3 Games, Million on Mars, and Sunflower, Ran, uh, Sunflower Land will do cross-chain event. So what's happening here is two Web3 games, two separate Web3 games, Million on Mars, Sunflower Land, they're play-to-own crafting games. They're creating a first-of-its-kind cross-chain, cross-universe, crossover event. Uh, they're built on different blockchains, Wax and Polygon, and they're going to enable what they say is coherent gameplay across two different networks. So two web three games building true interoperability between the, between the two of them. And, and obviously we've talked on this podcast about interoperability being one of those, like we will not reach the metaverse capital M until that box has been checked. Are you surprised to see something like this this soon? Do we think this is a bit more sort of PR fluff? Do you think there's going to be real takeaways and, and sort of uh, learnings from this that may lead to industry standard interoperability? I'm curious, Jeff. It's the first step. I, I don't want to undersell. This is actually a big article. And like the title doesn't even really do it justice. Like at all. This is yeah. fairly monumental. Like I almost didn't even catch it. Um, you know, it, it's a, one of the bigger stories, I feel like, in, in Web3 Gaming, because it's really the first time that one of the Two separate companies. I believe they're not owned by the same publisher, not owned by the same developer. So two completely separate functioning businesses that are trying to make profit for their shareholders are coming together and having this concept of interoperability. And what actually is the most surprising is that it's across two different chains. Because I could have seen a scenario where this was they were both on Polygon, for example. And it was like Polygon went to both these studios and was like, hey, look, we'll give you a bunch of money to prove 
you know, to kind of do a proof test case, like we want you to be the first, like, hey, it's on the chain, you know, it's a lot easier to put together two Lego pieces that fit, right? It, to <laughs> use a stupid, probably bad, maybe good, maybe bad analogy, but like if they're on the same chain, it feels easier. The fact that they're on two separate chains is surprising. So I, w- I, w- I would love to hear a, a more of a story of how this came about, like who approached who, what the economic terms are. Cause like we've talked about how difficult this is going to be to achieve. And obviously these are just two games. They're not particularly high def graphics. Like they're, you know, resource management type games. So there's plenty of, there's still plenty that has to be done to make the metaverse a reality. But I I think this is is pretty impactful. So I'm curious, you know, your thoughts. I think when history is written, right. And we look back, um, people are going to be talking about this moment in, in, in much more meaningful ways. Like kudos to you for catching this story, because I agree the headline was not, is really underselling this, but it'll be one of those, you know, I won't say like a man on the moon moments, but like it'll go down as, you know, maybe the time someone sent their first, uh, you know, TCP IP packet from sort one of, machine to another or something. Sort of right? like, and I don't mean to cut you off, sort of like when, you know, in esports, you talk about when there was the esports competition, the guy won the Ferrari. Yeah, like, exactly. I think it'll be like that. Like it'll be like, we'll be talked about like that. And, 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 and it's interesting because when I saw the names, I had to think back, I had met, uh, the founder of the million on Mars game at the crypto Bahamas conference, which was, I was at recently. And it struck me because I remember, you know, the guy was super sharp, really understood where, you know, where he was going with this. Um, and it sort of all makes sense, right? Like really kind of forward thinking about, uh, that goes beyond just sort of selfishness around success of his own game but is looking for six, like the pie to grow as a whole and interoperability is key to that. So, I mean, I just hope this is a massive success. I hope more people talk about it. I hope more people replicate this. Um, And I love that it's happening because that is like we've said many times before key pillar for, you know, any true metaverse to actually take shape are standards, which allow this kind of interoperability. So First and foremost, I, I hope, and I think you, you said this, like, I hope players appreciate this and I hope it's, it's a fun mechanic. I hope it brings value to both games. Like, True. because that's how, that's how this is going to end up succeeding. Like the only way that this will work is if it's fun for the players. Like if, if the players of both games say, Hey, wow, I'm now playing both these games. I'm moving back and forth between the two. I'm spending more money. I'm spending more time. I'm enjoying myself more then every other developer is going to look at this and say, wow, like, okay, now we have to do interoperability. Before it was like, it's always been, well, why would I do it? I want to keep people in my game. But if yeah. players start demanding it, that's when you're going to see this space really like, quickly hit an inflection point, I think. True. They have to prove the value to the players. But it's also, as I'm hearing you talking, like, it really is so different from any game developer attitude we've seen in traditional gaming, right? Like, we talk about stuff on the business of esports podcast. It's it, all the traditional gaming companies are really closed ecosystems. They do not want any interoperability. They don't care about any of that. Um, and so it's interesting to see this initiative being taken. And like I said, I think we both uh, hope it's massively successful. So um, let's move on. Let's talk about the NFL and mythical games here, Jeff. Um, the, the, he- the headline here, NFL and mythical games to launch play and own NFT game. NFL rivals. Um, it says even in this bear market, the NFL is bullish. NFL is bullish on blockchain gaming. Basically, what they're doing 
This is Mythical Games partnered with the NFL. They're developing a blockchain game called NFL Rivals. It's like a fantasy football game. So you act as like the general manager of an NFL team. Uh, you trade in players, you build up players. You, they're all NFTs, like the team building is NFTs. And uh, they, the NFTs represent ownership of assets, right? Uh, obviously, players or things like that. And uh, it's going to be free to play. You're going to get a starter team at first launch. But uh, as you go along, as you compete, as you win matches or complete objectives, you'll have the opportunity to win tokens or NFTs um, that, uh, that they don't give any details on here. It just says that Mythical isn't quite ready to share any details on earning tokens. But uh, that's, I, I suppose it's going to be better players or better ways to improve your stats, things like that. So um, what do we make of Mythical and the NFL doing this together? Uh, the NFL invested in Mythical, so that's an interesting data point. They were part of Mythical's Series C round, which was $150 million. So the NFL has a vested interest in Mythical. Clearly, they're bullish on blockchain gaming. Um, do you think this is the right activation and the right, you know, the right fit? Yeah, I mean, the NFL has been pretty forward thinking, actually, in recent years about their kind of gaming strategy. I think they signed it. Historically, they had obviously had Madden, and that was kind of like the main uh, NFL video game, and it still largely is. But I think in the last couple of years, you know, one, they signed a deal for more of like an arcade style game with Take Two that I believe is supposed to come out um, sometime in the next two years. That'll be a little bit like almost like NFL Blitz. Um, they're obviously doing this now. Uh, and they also did a deal with Skills where they're, they, they, um, created like they, they licensed uh, games to skills, the peer-to-peer um, kind of wagering company to, yep. to build to build mobile games. So I think the NFL is being smart in terms of diversifying away from just Madden, getting into Web3, getting into peer-to-peer. They obviously have leaned pretty heavily into sports betting with partnerships with DraftKings, FanDuel. So kind of broadening out their like interactive entertainment slash uh, gambling content. So I think that's smart. It's interesting that, you know, they uh, chose to invest in Mythical. I think, you know, I, I didn't even know the league had a VC arm. So that's that's kind of cool called Start 32 Equity. So yeah. that's uh, that's I mean, that sounds like a fun place to work. Um, but yeah. Other than that, I mean, I, you know, sports games are, are good for this. I think I think so rare has proven with soccer like they've had a, a pretty good model. We saw Dapper Labs with their um, NBA Top Shot, which isn't, you know, specifically exactly this but the, the crossover between sports esports and crypto is one that we've talked a lot about so I, I do think this will find an audience the typical kind of crypto fan is is usually like a young male so that's kind of the nfl's audience so i i suspect if they build a game that actually is that actually works like an economy that works in a game that's somewhat fun um they'll probably have success i think i mean jeff let's talk about that though the average NFL fan, first of all, is still like in their 50s, right? Like it's still it still trends older. Most traditional sports trend older. I think it's actually exactly 50. Uh, the latest data I've seen. Um, I see a few potential scenarios and I'm curious which one you think is most likely. Do you think this kind of partnership results in a bunch of tr- like older than the average crypto user people? creating wallets, getting into blockchain gaming, discovering this for the first time. So tapping into an entirely new 
older audience that crypto may never have reached before? Or do you think just the few, you know, the, the minority of young NFL fans will look at this and think it's interesting because they understand crypto. They probably already have a wallet and, you know, it's already a fit. So it doesn't really grow the pie, but you have this, you know, the people who are already crypto enthusiasts who also like the NFL get into it. Or do you think the, the, the third scenario I see is um, it's just totally like the, the fit's not there at all. Right. So you, you get a, mm-hmm. a it's, it falls flat because the people who this is targeted at don't have crypto wallets, don't want crypto wallets, don't know how to have crypto wallets. And therefore getting started with a blockchain game is too, too heavy of a lift to, to make happen. I definitely don't think it will be one. I think it will be two or three. I guess I already said, I think it will be successful. So I think it'll be two. I think you'll get maybe that 18 to 27 year old, like crypto audience. Who's also a football fan. And, and, and it'll be play to earn or play and own, whatever they want to call it. So if they build an economy, build some hype, like maybe they'll get some sponsors to come in and, and kind of pump it like some NFL players or former players. Um, and so maybe it can hit like that, that sort of S curve, like hype cycle. Um, I think it'll be that. I don't see like 55 year old, like, you know, the bears fan from Chicago, like going and like becoming a huge fan of this mobile game uh that's just my my intuition i don't i don't know what do you think which would you pick yeah the, okay. i i'm i try like i i'm gonna a little bit of a cop out here but what else can the nfl do right i always come back to that you have an, an audience that's getting older right you're challenged from every side whether it's gaming whether it's other forms of entertainment right you there's pressure from all sides to grow the sport, to grow the, the fan base. How else do you reach younger fans? How else do you, you know, try and get people more excited about the NFL? I feel whether we think it's going to be a huge success or not, you have to be doing this, or at least you have to be trying these things. And so it's hard to, it's hard to fault them and say, oh, this is not a perfect fit. Your audience is a bit older. And it, well, that can't paralyze you, right? As a business, you can't just be like, well, our audience is older. So, you know, we give up. Um, and so I like it, right? Like I, I, I don't want to like it that I think it's a little bit cheesy. And I like, I don't, I don't think it's that exciting, but at least they're doing something. At least they're trying something. At least they're going to put something out there to try and reach that audience. Um, and I, I, I applaud them for that. I do hope it's a success because of that, because it grows the pie if it is. Um, so we'll see. It's a, it's an interesting one. Um, one last story here that I think is, is also interesting. And, and, you know, we talk about this stuff a lot in the, on the gaming side, but in the metaverse perspective, this, this is one of the first, uh, yeah, not, not first articles, but, you know, we're seeing more and more of this trend. And that is what I'll call like infrastructure. And, and the headline here is Help Shift launches free plan for metaverse customer support. Now, uh, don't really care about what this plan is. It's more uh, wanting to discuss help shift and this idea that it's a customer service company, in-app customer service, that is focused on metaverse apps. So we're starting to see now very specialized, call it infrastructure and services targeted at metaverse stuff. 
Jeff. So this right. makes perfect sense. I mean, if you assume we're all going to be living, you know, we're going to be spending a lot more of our time in the metaverse, you do need some sort of customer support and it should probably be native to the metaverse, right? Like if you're in Decentraland and all of a sudden your, you know, your sword disappears, like you're going to want to be like, Hey, like what happened to my sword? Like it just stopped working or it disappeared <laughs> or whatever. My, I froze, whatever you, you might rather than popping out of the screen and typing into a chat window or God forbid, calling a 1-800 number, maybe it would be cool if like you could just like click a button and all of a sudden an avatar comes over to you and you're just having a conversation as you would in the metaverse with a chat, effectively what is a chat bot, but it is an avatar. And it's not that crazy of a concept, right? Like I remember, you know, if you remember 10 years ago, it would have been insane to think like, hey, customer service, you're going to text, you know, you're going to text with them or it's going to be a chat window, you'd be like, no, I have to call a 1-800 number or like write a letter. Now, like, uh, you know, I, I always have an experience whenever I'm like booking a Delta flight. Like I always, it's like, you know, if I have to change something, I'm always texting. And it's actually yeah. incredibly easy because it's asynchronous and it's it, like, it, it's actually like a somewhat pleasant experience. So I think that like, this is a big trend just in general, like B2B enterprise software is like the consumerization of, of enterprise products. Uh, so it's not surprising that the metaverse, you know, would, would need kind of these things. I don't know. What, yeah. what do you think? No, it's one of those, again, uh, we'll look back on these moments as like infrastructure and services are key to, to lay the foundation for everything that's being built. Right. And these are boring businesses, right? Customer service is not an exciting, it's not as exciting as doing, you know, fighting robot chickens, right? Like it's just, it's not as sexy. It's not as exciting. But you need this stuff. And, and when this stuff starts popping up, this is where I start to get excited about the industry and where it's going as a whole, because there's a recognition that, to your point, your sword disappears, you're going to need someone to talk to. So business view on this is very excited about it. Love seeing this. We're going to see a lot more, right? The stories, are you, services and infrastructure ends up being a lot of, you know, in this, where we are in the life cycle, I think of what we're going to see going forward. Um, my sort of sillier take on it is um, if we go back to the original metaverse, World of Warcraft, okay, which I will call the original, like I know there's metaverses before that, but the real, the real one that matters. Uh, and as a gamer, I can say that World of Warcraft, right? Um, you know, th those things happened in World of Warcraft. Like your sword could have, like, uh, could sometimes disappear. You would uh, loot a monster and maybe not get the thing you were supposed to get. And there were people in World of Warcraft that were like guides or uh, game masters, essentially, that would show up. They would appear right in the game to solve your problem, get you unstuck, try and get your sword back, whatever it was. The funny thing about WoW is there were there were instances in WoW of where the customer, what, who, these people who were essentially customer support, um, because they had to solve these kinds of problems. They were essentially like the most powerful beings within WoW and within this metaverse, right? Like they had to be all powerful to be able to solve people's problems. And you ended up with customer support people who had God complexes, right? Because they could <laughs> go anywhere, do anything, make anything appear, disappear, right? To be able to solve. And I fear that customer support in the metaverse specifically, they go down this path of you need to give them powers. But powers in a virtual universe go beyond just like, hey, I'm processing your refund over the phone. 
you you become um, like way more powerful in the, in a virtual setting, in Especially a, in a metaverse setting. And there's That's real it. dollars at play. Like, you know, this kind of gets goes to the 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 elf con concept. You know, <laughs> it says here in this this article that I'm pulling up, the elf will be the most powerful and subtle form of coercion in the metaverse. These electronic life facilitators are the natural evolution of digital assistants like Siri and Alexa, but they won't be disembodied voices in the metaverse. They'll be anthropo—I don't know what that word—anthropomorphic perso- <laughs> anthropomorphic personas customized for each customer. Yes, they'll be elves. Very interesting. <laughs> this is a fascinating article. All all powerful elves. Uh, that's what people have to look forward to. Uh, in the metaverse what better way to end jeff i gotta say uh, another great episode i enjoyed this thank you thank you guys for listening and tuning in every week don't forget make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you get us uh share it with a friend send it to like two people or leave a review one or the other do one of those two things uh we really appreciate it it's how the podcast continues to grow we love doing this for you guys it's so much fun every week don't forget the future is fun we will see you guys next week Thanks for joining us here on Meta Business. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Business.